0: Welcome to PreachingChrist.org, the preaching ministry of Father Patrick Malone, Vicar of Holy Cross Anglican Church in Milwaukee. If you have any questions about the Bible or the Christian life, contact us at Patrick at PreachingChrist.org. We are going through the epistle to the Ephesians. Are there a few Bibles in front of you? Okay, so if you don't have a Bible, uh, you can follow along. In the Pew Bible, in the book of Ephesians, which is in the New Testament, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Hope you're all impressed I was able to do that from memory. Paul here... Opens up his epistle to this church, which is a a struggling church. Paul is in Rome, he's in prison. Uh, The church is a mixture of Jewish believers, Uh, the church was initially all Jewish believers who had come to realize that Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph, Jesus of Nazareth, was indeed the anointed one, the Christ who, had, who the nation of Israel had been waiting for, for generations. And Paul, when he would travel, he would go to the synagogue, and he would first preach to the Jews of that town, And then when there were converts or there was hostility to the gospel, um, he would leave the synagogues and then he would go to the town squares where there were uh, debates and dialogues and speeches given about various theological and philosophical topics. And Paul planted this church, originated this church in Ephesus, which was, you can consider it um, maybe not the London of the ancient world, maybe the Paris or the Hong Kong because it was a port town. So this was a very major trading town in what is now Turkey. And Paul now, a few years later, is hearing that there is some type of problem going on in the church. There's always quarreling. Uh, People, as much as they try, sometimes don't get together, don't get on well together. And so Paul is writing this letter, and as he writes, he he is so exuberant about what Christ has accomplished that he goes on for almost 10 maybe 15 verses about how wonderful Christ is and my sermon today is on verses 15 through the end of the chapter so I'll read this for you for this reason because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints I do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers That God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you are called, what are the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, power, dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come that he might put all things under his feet, and to give him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. So Paul has a point. Paul is writing for a purpose. And in the midst of his explosive doxology, this exuberant moment of praise at the beginning of this letter Paul says I'm amazed at you guys you guys are awesome the Christians in Ephesus are awesome because of the immense love for Jesus Christ and your immense love for the saints now I I get the love of Jesus But Paul, now bragging on them, because of the immense love they have for each other, that takes love to a different level. Sometimes people in church can annoy each other, can cause each other to stumble, drive them away from the church, drive them away from the Lord, but this was not the case in Ephesus. And when people come to that immense love for each other, it's because they understand who they are. And they understand what Christ did for them, despite who they are. And not only is he amazed at their love for each other and their love for Jesus, but then he says, I I give thanks to you when I pray. I name you as a church that is so outstanding in love that I bring you up in my prayers. And not only do I give thanks for you, but notice this second part, starting in verse 17. He wants them to have something extraordinary that really Christ wants all of us to have. And what is that extraordinary thing? That the Father, the God God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in your knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to to which you are called. Paul is so exuberant and so thrilled and so happy and so joyful because of the incredible love that the Ephesians had for Jesus and therefore for each other, that he says, I want you to have a special level of knowledge and understanding and that God would pull away the curtain of heaven so that you might see Jesus in a new and real way. And he uses kind of a mixed metaphor, that the eyes of your heart might be opened so that you would see things clearly and, yes, even emotionally about how great God is how amazing Jesus is. And not only Jesus in the abstract, but that you would know him. And I ask myself at times, do I really know Jesus? I know about Jesus. I've been studying things about Jesus uh, all my life. Sunday school a little bit when I was a kid. But really, since I was 15 years old, I have been a fairly serious student of the Bible and of theology. And I know a lot about Jesus. But that's not Paul's prayer, that they would know a lot about him. And this is the apostle praying for a church. And I think this prayer is as applicable for the Ephesians 2,000 years ago as it is applicable for you and me today. That Paul's prayer is that you would not just know things about Jesus, but that you would know him. You would know him. You would know who he is. You would know what he did and what he accomplished and the inheritance that he has for you. Now, we have some gray hairs here. It would be interesting to find out how much people lost in 2008. Was it a good year financially for you? Probably not. But you know what? There is no 2008 in the kingdom of God. The inheritance that Christ has for you, the 401k, the mutual fund, the stocks, the bonds that Jesus has for you, the interest rate and the earnings and the yield never fluctuates. There's never a crash in the market. In the kingdom of God, there is never a depression, there is never a recession. There is never runaway inflation because the inheritance is always the same. The infinite love and goodness that Christ has for you and is giving you through him and the cross. If you notice in verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness and power towards us who believe? Where did this inheritance come from? It came to us through not how good we are, but because of how good Jesus is. What he did in his perfect obedience towards the Father, what he did in his perfect obedience as he walked daily towards the cross, knowing that he was going to be crucified for us, Our sins were going to be laid on him. He would be separated from the Father, and yet the Father raised him again from the dead. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, and I believe for us, is that we would have a deeper level of knowledge and understanding Of Jesus. Not about Jesus. Not more facts of who he is and what he did, but to actually know him. And we know Jesus. He's given us a number of ways to know him. He's given us his word. The gospels, the epistles, the Old Testament is filled with knowledge of Jesus. The day he was resurrected from the dead, he's on a road with two disciples to Emmaus, and he opens up the scripture, he says, the Bible says, and he told them everything about him in the law and in the prophets. Luke 24. Not so that they would know facts about him, but that so that they would know him. Do you know him. He is known through the word. But also Luke 24 tells us that they weren't sure who this man was until what took place? Until the breaking of the bread and their eyes were opened, Luke 24 tells us. And so we get to learn more about Jesus And to interact with him and to feed upon him and to hear from him and to see him. As we sip the cup and drink the wine and eat the bread. Because we see him as he wants us to know him. On the cross. When the Apostle Paul went to the church in Corinth. And he said, I didn't didn't come here. With fantastic fairy tales and powerful personality. I'm not that type of guy. But I came here that you would know nothing except Christ and Him crucified. We meet Jesus, we see Jesus, we know Jesus through the cross. And we see who He is through the resurrection and the empty tomb. And we know this because the same power, Paul tells us in verses 21 through 23, the power that God used to create things, the power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead, the power that is above every name, That power was used to send us the Holy Spirit, who makes the Bible alive. God sends us the Holy Spirit through his power. That same power that uh, raised Jesus from the dead, that created all things, that brought Lazarus from the grave, that same power is there for us as we gather together, as we hear the word, as we break bread and drink the cup. The Bible is a dead book unless the Holy Spirit opens our eyes, the eyes of our heart. It's merely bread and wine. Unless the Holy Spirit changes that bread and wine for us as we eat it into the body and blood of Christ. And these are the prayers that we pray during the consecration that the Holy Spirit would come and make for us this day, this bread and this wine for us, the body and blood of Christ, so that we can commune there, sit there, ponder that Christ wants us to know him through his death, burial, and resurrection. But sometimes, for some of us, maybe all the time for some of us, this makes no sense and doesn't seem like a big deal. Because sometimes all of us, and sometimes and many times some of us, are just like Esau. We know the story of Esau. There was an inheritance sitting for him. And he came in hungry one day. And his brother said, uh, I've got some soup here, and I'll make you a trade. I'll trade you uh, this world and its priorities, its agenda, and I'll give you that if you'll give me the inheritance. I'll give you this pot of, this bowl of pottage, this stew, this bean soup, If you give me your inheritance. And sometimes, many of us, and perhaps some of us all the time, are just like Esau. We'd rather have a bowl of bean soup than to learn more about the inheritance that Christ has for us. We easily trade it away. As we think about coming to the table and as we kneel and say our confession, ask the Lord, is that true of me? Do I care more about the things of this world than the glory and inheritance that Christ has for me? And ask the Holy Spirit, work in my heart that I might be excited about what the Scripture is excited about. That I might have the exuberance that Paul has when he speaks about these things. That his appetite for Jesus would be my appetite for Jesus. Let us pray.